In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Hello, it's Greg Bluestein with the latest Politically Georgia podcast, where we bring you news and analysis each week about what's happening under the Gold Dome and everywhere else in Georgia politics. For this week's episode, we focus on sine die, the final day of the legislative session. Yay. In Latin, it apparently means without a day, but it might as well stand for unintended consequences. And here to talk with me about some of those unintended consequences is James Salzer, a veteran AJC reporter who covers politics, policy, and the state budget. James, how many of these have you covered now? Like 30, 40? Uh, I think I've covered the second one after Oglethorpe landed in Savannah. <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, 28. This will be 28. And each one is just better than the last. I wouldn't go that far. So law- lawmakers are notorious procrastinators. So every signy die seems like cramming before a final exam. How would you describe the atmosphere? Um, well, it's it's a... Uh, um, it's a planned procrastination. They they uh, mess around a lot. Um, had a lot of short days in January and February and March where they come in, uh, salute the local basketball champion or the beauty queen from South Georgia and do like you know one bill a day or something like that. Um, so they they purposely um, do uh, do all the bills at the last minute, which means it's it's very hectic and it means um, inevitably that um, uh, members are voting on things that they don't read. So uh, periodically, uh, I'll come back and do a story, I don't know, six months later on something in the budget um, that was controversial. And I'll go back and I'll interview uh, legislators, and almost every single year I hear, oh, I didn't know that was in there. (laughs) And that's a common theme because it is such a frenzied day, um, and after so much procrastination, um, it gets gets to be – there's so much flood of paperwork and last minute changes that oftentimes these go into conference committees. They come out with bills and conference committee is a, is a meeting between house lawmakers and Senate lawmakers trying to craft some sort of consensus. Giant sheaves of paper land on lawmakers desks. They don't have time to read, read or understand the full implications of what they're about to pass. And yet they still pass a lot of these bills. They vote. I think they vote over 200 times on the last day of the session. And, um, I think I once looked at it and I figured out that it was um, in the last couple hours, it's something like four minutes between votes. So that means there's like four minutes for someone to get up, quote, explain. And usually, often the explanation is uh, like the uh, Senate to consider a, a compromise on HB 463, it's good for Georgia. <laughs> and then, you know, you vote on it. I mean, it, there's not a lot more discussion than that. 
and you see and reporters you know having been in the, uh, the the press gallery for many many of these we're scrambling to keep up too because we have no idea what the last minute changes we've been covering some of these these issues throughout the entire session but then like that you know the bill is overhauled completely rewritten and the the bill we, we that we understood to be moving through the the general assembly has suddenly dr- drastically changed right and and then you know adding to the, the the kind of bonus of all this is that the atmosphere in the chambers um, is is kind of like the atmosphere in an, uh, in a nightclub in that you as the as the, the night goes on the, the day starts out and it's not so bad and then as night goes on it gets louder and louder and louder the legislators bring uh, family members, uh, distant relatives, dogs, cats, everything. They bring everybody in their uh, staff members come in, crowd into these chambers. And so there's just this cacophony of sound. And it really is very, very difficult the last probably two, three hours of a session to even hear what um, the, the person at the podium is saying, even if they wanted you to hear what they were saying. Yeah, and, and that, 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 that describes it perfectly. Um, all sorts of curious language gets slipped in these these last few these last few hours of every session too. Tell me tell me some of the more interesting bills you you've covered. The the one that that I brought up quite a bit just because it's uh, it's kind of a classic case of how things work. Um, is, I'm trying to remember it's five six seven years ago something like that uh, on the last end of the session about ten o'clock. Uh, a senator got up to uh, announce a committee uh, agreement on a bill that was. Uh, I was involved hunting and fishing licenses. And um, so, you know, innocuous enough, everybody loves hunting and fishing licenses. And so the Senate voted for it. And then we got um, a copy of it uh, right before the vote. It got handed to right before the vote. And we looked through. And sure enough, it not only uh, dealt with hunting and fishing license it, licenses, it made it um, so that the State Ethics Commission could um, um, hide the results of um, ethics complaints filed against politicians, hmm. essentially. And Not that a lot was, to do with hunting and fishing. No, it? and that was a good one because it so, – so I get I, – you know, figured this out. Um, I posted it – this was early days of kind of social media, and I posted it on Facebook. I don't remember if I posted it on Twitter or not. You know, immediately saying, you know, this is what happened. One of the state senators who is now running for lieutenant governor actually walked up to me and said, "What?" Um, after you know they'd approved this, um, it it got around um, the the what I was what I had posted had gotten around in the um, the hallways where all the lobbyists are. They contacted um, uh, a state representative because the, the bill had to go back because it was changed had to go back to the uh, the house for a vote. And after passing nearly unanimously in the Senate, um, it got it started getting around very quickly in the House. That, you know, there'd been some monkey business, and vote, and the House just killed it. A lot of these issues also end up coming back to haunt politicians uh, during election year. I remember one notable case you you reported about uh, when it was Governor Sonny Perdue's then personal attorney, who also happened to be a House member, passed a tax break or uh, introduced a tax break that would. Yep benefit him right yeah it was it was uh that was actually done the the thing is is that the sunny die is the 40th day the 39th day is is equally as long uh, as you talk about as much but that was a that was like right before midnight i believe on the 39th day of the session um you know after 16 hours of voting on bills um the 
the state legislator who uh, is from um, the governor's area uh, went up and described a bill, a tax bill that was very uh, difficult for anyone to understand if you're not a tax lawyer. Uh, and that was in 2005, and uh, one of the members of the House who was a uh, real estate agent um, heard uh, you know, one-sentence definition of this provision of the bill and said, you know, I wonder who that's for. Well, a year later, we find out um, that the provision was uh, to help the governor— um, Governor Purdue at the governor time. Governor Purdue at the time. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to say the wrong governor. Governor Purdue at the time. Um, it would defer uh, taxes on a, a land deal that he had just made, and um, that that I think we broke that story in like September of 2006 when he was running for reelection, and it dominated the uh, discussion in that race the last couple of months of the race. Yeah. Uh, to me, one of the more interesting uh, and exhausting trends is the gradual move past midnight. It used to be, at least the first few years I covered the, the legislative session, at midnight session would stop on a dime. You know, you'd have to have declare a signing die. If it was 12.01, it was a big controversy. Lately, though, these past few years, it's edged closer and closer to dawn. I mean, we, we had we were in until almost 2 a.m., uh, last year, yeah, the, the the and it's it's interesting that this has happened in the last few years because those of us who've been around a long time, there's a almost a mystique about that midnight deadline. Uh, the famous, most famous, uh, I think probably in the last I don't know hundred years episode involving that deadline was in 1964. There was a, um, a redistricting bill that the legislature was trying to the House was trying to get through very badly. And a brilliant uh, representative slash uh, lawyer uh, named Denmark Gruber, um, a World War II um, uh, fighter pilot, so he wasn't afraid of things like this, uh, went up to the balcony and leaned over, like hauled his body over the balcony overlooking the legislature and tried to stop the clock (laughs) so that it wouldn't hit midnight and they could get this bill through. He ended up dropping the clock. Um, and the session went on because it was a broken clock, I imagine. But um, it, but yeah, I mean, it used, it used to be um, really, really hectic the last five, ten minutes of the session because it was a twelve o'clock deadline, um, and you know, it just didn't go beyond that. Um, and that's although this this year they the the resolution they passed for time for uh, setting the calendar actually says it will end at midnight, but this has probably been three times in the last mm-hmm. five or six years where it, the 12 o'clock deadline's come and gone and they just keep going. Intentions are usually hot between, even uh, you know, even when there's two Democrats or two Republicans in those, in those two top spots in the legislature, tensions are usually hot. There's legendary stories of Zell Miller and Tom Murphy and uh, Glenn Richardson and uh, Casey Cagle, and now we've got David Ralston and Casey Cagle, and last year was a perfect example of, of how that legislative session ended on such a strained note. House lawmakers worked for, for more than a year on a what seemed like a rather innocuous-sounding bill to update the, the state's adoption law, but Senate lawmakers sort of at the last minute slipped in a provision that would allow some private adoption agencies to deny placing children with same-sex couples. That turned this into more of a religious liberty controversial debate. Last year's session ended without that bill passing. Lots of fiery words shared between both leaders of the two chambers. Lots of vows to get it right this year. This year, lawmakers have already passed that bill without that contentious provision in it. The governor's already signed into law. It's a done deal. 
but a separate provision calling for just that, calling for an, uh, adoption agencies to be allowed not to place children with same-sex couples still is pending. The, House, the Senate has passed it. It's pending in the House. Right. It's one of many issues we're watching this last week. Yeah, the, the adoption was, uh, uh, issue was kind of um, strange because I think, I think most Georgians would look at the original bill and think, well, all you're trying to do is speed up um, the time it takes to get in to adopt a child, and the, the state has has had you know tremendous problems um, getting uh, with the number of children in foster homes and the need for foster homes. Foster parents has gone up dramatically. So so throughout the last, I mean, leading up to the session, we kept writing about um, this adoption bill, the adoption bill, the adoption bill, and I, I can't imagine a whole lot of Georgians understood why that would be controversial um but uh, we then got the politics of religious uh, freedom mm -hmm. uh, stuck into it and then it becomes a completely different animal and it became such a big priority for not just speaker ralston but also for governor deal governor deal made it he, he you know this is his last session in office he did not come forward with a hugely ambitious agenda uh, now that he's a lame duck governor he i think he his staff realized there's only so much he could he could get done but this was one of the issues he really wanted done and him and Speaker Ralston kind of formed a united front over this issue, trying to make sure that it passed without the religious liberty part of it. Now, that religious liberty part of it still still pens, as we mentioned. Sure. One of the bigger questions the last week of the session, although my bet is that it did not go anywhere in the House. Yeah, I think it's it, this is an interesting year in that I think um, while there are priorities of, of the Speaker and the, and the House and priorities of the Lieutenant Governor and the Senate, um, really a couple of the really big issues and things that they had to get done um, are done. Um, adoption is one of them. The, uh, the legislation to deal with the um, state windfall, uh, tax windfall. Um, without a Delta tax break. Without a ta Delta tax break. But, but, the, but the, you know, while, while that got a lot of the, you know, a lot of the, the press, the, the fact of the matter is if they hadn't passed the, the tax bill, um, uh, thousands, if not tens of thousands of Georgians would have seen a rather sizable income tax increase um, due to the changes that were made in the federal tax law. And um, that, that was kind of also a must-get-done um, political issue because no one wanted to run for office this year saying, um, oh, by the way, your, tax, your state taxes are going to go up. So I mean, those were, I think, the two... Uh, Two key issues that we got over with quickly. Um, the, the one thing they still, they, the only thing they really have to do yet, um, I mean, there's many things that they want to do and they, they may do, but the only thing they have to do is um, approve a state budget. Um, the Senate is going to vote on their version of the state budget Friday. And um, so uh, that'll give them a week to negotiate, probably negotiate over the, the, over the weekend. And there, and there's a lot of kind of, there's a lot of political issues that are involved in this year's uh, budgets that they're going to want to debate. Yeah, as James mentioned, it's literally the only thing lawmakers have to do is, is pass that $26 billion budget. So that's still pending the last-minute negotiations this week. Also, there's some big debates involving how we commute that are still up, up for grabs. And the first one is transit. Both the House and the Senate have hashed out separate plans. They're coming closer towards a consensus, but separate plans to really pave the way for transit expansion across Metro Atlanta and allow Gwinnett and other counties and possibly Cobb County 
to buy into the MARTA footprint. But that still remains a big question. And I think an even bigger question is how it will be funded. Right. I mean, there, there, there's, there's not a strong fun, funding mechanism in those bills. And there's a tax bill, uh, unrelated tax bill, that is um, in the Senate now um, that has been amended that would take away um, car tax money that MARTA now receives. And essentially, if that bill passed, um, the MARTA officials say they would lose about $30 million a year. So they would actually come out of this session that was supposed to be about transit with less money to spend on transit than, uh, than they went in with. That's a big deal. Um, and, you know, both these, these, these bills call for different funding mechanisms, one, one with a, a 1% sales tax uh, on airport goods that would raise money for transit, along with a new surcharge on Uber. Both those parts are in danger right now because uh, uh, opposition from, from powerful uh, Georgia uh, politicians. So it's uncertain whether or not there'll be that funding mechanism beyond bonds that the governor's office will put in for transit. Another big issue is distracted driving. Another commuter issue, that's been one of the most uh, heated and emotional debates of the session this year. And as our colleague David Wicker put it, it's really a debate between life and liberty. Yeah, it's, 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 and it's an issue that like, has been fought, that, that bill has been filed several years. And it actually has gone farther this year, um, which is kind of interesting. Maybe it's a sign of the times, but it's gone further this year than it's gone in the past. Um, it's a very difficult, but it's be a diff, it's a diff, difficult political issue to get through the Senate, which is where it's uh, lying now. Yeah, and and one other point of that is that of course the Senate's led by Lieutenant Governor Casey Cago, who's running for running for governor, and he said he's worried about too much government intrusion. So he's he said in an interview uh, earlier this month that it faces an uphill battle. So it's become something of a 2018 election year issue too. No one wants to be accused of allowing government more more government interference in daily lives. And so you've also heard Michael Williams, who's another candidate, who's a state senator, um, make the same argument. They don't like government interference unless it's government interference and do do what they want to do. <laughs> <laughs> same can be said about pretty much any politician. Yes. Right? <laughs> Uh, and by the way, as we enter this last week of the session, as we get ready for Sunny Day, let's remember, this might not be the last we see of lawmakers this year, right, James? Right, right, Cause, because of what? Amazon. Amazon. The governor said if Georgia is one of the top three finalists for Amazon, right now Georgia is one of the top 20. So if the list gets pared down to three or four, and Georgia is one of those top, top finalists, there will be a special session for billions of dollars worth of incentives to lure Amazon and its 50,000 jobs, second headquarters to Atlanta. And there is nothing, nothing that people running for re-election would rather do than vote on a massive package of, of tax breaks for, for a company that may or may not come. That's going to be a really interesting issue because it's going to be, I mean, if it comes up, because it'll be interesting if a state representative from Valdosta or Hayhira, or Savannah, or you know Brunswick, is going to want to say, yeah, yeah, we'll give you five billion dollars or whatever it is that the state is going to want to offer, um, even though none of these jobs are going to be coming to my town. Yeah, you look at Governor uh, Deal's legacy, and you can think of you know the hope cuts in 2011, and the religious liberty veto, and the criminal justice overhaul in terms of legislative priorities. This might be up there with it if. if this might be up there in terms of how difficult this could be to pass in an election year. And think about it this way, too. Just a few weeks ago, 
Georgia lawmakers effectively voted to punish the state's largest private employer, Delta. Well, Amazon would far out over outnumber yeah. Delta. Delta yeah. has 33,000 employees. Amazon would put 50,000 employees in Georgia. So if it's treated its largest pri- private employer like it did earlier this month, imagine how hard it could be to pass incentives for a company that some conservatives already see as a run by some liberal Seattle-based right. giant who yeah, owns the Washington that, Post. You hear that a lot among um, people in the hall, that um, why should we be enthusiastic for Amazon to come here? Because we're, particularly among the majority, because um, you know their, their feeling is, and I, I don't know how true this is, but they're, I mean, in, in reality of what would happen, but the, their feeling is, is that he will bring 50,000 people here um, to live in um, metro Atlanta, and the majority of those people will be um, Democratic voters in the future. So it'll, you know, hurt, hurt the, the Republican image. I, I don't know, you know, how accurate that is, but that, that, that's at least a talk. Yeah, one bridge at a time. First, Georgia has to be one of those top three finalists, yeah, which exactly. who knows? Um, one side note to that, uh, the AJC reported earlier this month that Starbucks was looking at putting its putting a big regional office in Atlanta. Well, that's almost seen as a litmus test. Starbucks is also a Seattle-based company that that has many of the same executives and many of the same priorities as Amazon. So if Georgia lands that, it could be seen as a really good sign. And if it doesn't, who knows? So have like peach frappuccinos, <laughs> something like that. Now for my favorite part of the week, the phrase of the week from the AJC's James Salzer, who's here in studio to do it himself. Leveling the playing field. So if you hang around the legislature long enough, you're going to hear that term over and over and over again. You'd think with the business climate the way it is that we're like the equivalent of Switzerland or maybe the Urubamba River Valley in eastern Peru, where there's where just so many hills and there's no way to level the playing field except to do one thing, cut business taxes. This is the way it works. So. Bob Moore owns a yacht building company in Miami, say. A lobbyist comes to him and says, you know, I can get you a tax break to make you pay less taxes on the boats you're building. And he says, great. So they pass a law in Florida cutting the taxes on yacht builders. Then his his, uh, cousin, Hal, in Alabama, he also has a yacht building business. Lobbyist goes to, to Hal and says, hey, you could use a tax break on your yacht building business. Goes to the legislature in Montgomery, passes a bill. That goes on Tennessee, South Carolina. And all of a sudden, you guessed it, yacht builders in Georgia don't have a level playing field. All their competitors around them have gotten tax breaks. They pay less in taxes on the yachts they build. So what do we need to do? Level the playing field for Georgia yacht builders. Let's shift now to the lightning round for other news of the week. We'll start with Nancy Pelosi. You're already seeing many Democrats running for the U.S. House steer clear of Nancy Pelosi in the 6th and 7th districts. Those are the suburban Atlanta districts that are most competitive in the state. Last year, John Ossoff in his 6th district battle really struggled to answer whether or not he would support Nancy Pelosi. He always said some variation of, well, I'm focused on my district. I haven't really thought about that. It came back to haunt him. Republicans ran millions of dollars worth of ads saying he was another San Francisco liberal, even featuring the Golden Gate Bridge and Nancy Pelosi's smiling face. Now I think Democrats 
and gotten the hint that maybe, you know, maybe holding her at arm's length might be a good election strategy. Of the 10 or so Democrats running for those two districts, four, four or five of them have already outright said they're not going to support Nancy Pelosi, and none of them openly embraced her. You would see once they got up there. Yeah. Yeah, you know, you'd, it's easy to say that at home. Exactly. Uh, another big bill we're watching is the used car bill, right, James? Yeah. The, 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 bill, uh, it's, the bill would um, change the way um, the state uh, taxes used cars. Currently, if you're, you buy a, used car, a new car in a state, uh, it's based, the, your taxes are based on the, how much you paid for it. Um, they made a compromise five, four or five years ago so that used car uh, buyers paid on the uh, book value, which is generally lower than the sales price. So um, passing this bill would, it, as it came out of the House, would technically be a tax increase on used car buyers. Now, the, the, the politics behind it are that um, the Senate has never gone along with that idea. Um, the used car lobbyists, in fact, uh, th- vehemently thank um, uh, Casey Cagle for stopping uh, this bill. And sure enough, um, uh, the first time it came up in committee uh, in the Senate after passing the House you know, w- in a wide margin, um, suddenly that provision was taken out of the bill. Um, and they, again, thank the lieutenant governor for that. But it does other things. It also sets um, it sets a formula for how much cities and counties uh, get from the uh, uh, car tax that currently uh, is, is put on uh, um, your vehicle when you buy it. Um, and it has the it had the MARTA provision that uh, we discussed earlier. And two other major developments in the governor's race you can find at politicallygeorgia.com involve both sides of the ticket with big news. Um, on the Republican side, after Governor Phil Bryant in Mississippi passed the this, this toughest abortion restrictions in the nation, outlawing pretty much all abortions after 15 weeks, you had Secretary of State Brian Kemp, a Republican, vowing to outdo him and filing and, and signing into law even tougher restrictions. And to people who would sp- file lawsuits challenging, he said, bring it on. Shortly after he said that, most other Republican candidates said either the same thing or that they'd even outdo Brian Kemp. Michael Williams said he supports what he calls a heartbeat bill, which would outlaw abortions after six to eight weeks. So you have the uh, general push race to the right really is helping to find the Republican race right now with two months to go before the primary. Yeah, sooner or later, the, uh, one of the candidates will announce the prison term for thinking about abortions. So. <laughs> and on the Democratic side, thousands and thousands of people rallied over the weekend to protest gun violence. And really what that made us think about here at the AJC is how dramatically and remarkably the shift in Democratic politics has been away from the NRA. It wasn't so long ago in the 80s, 90s, even early 2000s. Heck, even 2014, where Democrats running for higher office in Georgia all pledged to be NRA Democrats, had the NRA's endorsement. They're all, we also have not seen any, uh, um, in the, I mean, there's three days left, but we haven't, we haven't yet seen any uh, laws to expand um, gun, uh, gun carrying or, or whatnot, because um, I talked to a couple of members who generally are sponsoring those bills, and they just said this is a bad year for that. Yeah, and in fact, on the Democratic side of the race, Stacey Abrams and Stacey Evans one of the bigger divides is actually how much they hate the NRA, how, how, uh, how they're trying to outdo each other with, with their bad grades. Stacey Evans ended with a D. Stacey Abrams says, hail, I have an F. 
So she's making that her one of her big uh, campaign selling points. Maybe we'll get a candidate with an F minus or something. You know? <laughs> I'll, do, I'll do her too. So, love it. so, so both parties, as they always do, racing to their flanks for the primary. But the big question will be in the general. I don't, I don't know if you'll see a, a, a move to the center. Who knows? I think you're more likely to see it from the from Republicans. I think if if uh, I think Stacey Abrams is like. Um, um, if she, if she wins the uh, Democratic primary, has staked out positions that I don't know that you can come back to the center on some of those. And it, it, it's somewhat true with the Republicans, too. Uh, and again, it depends who wins the nomination. Well, thank you for joining us this week. For more political stories, visit politicallygeorgia.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Bluestein and at AJC. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and rate us. And thank you for listening. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop story. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter.